0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to David's Book of Bedtime. Tonight, we're diving right back into Alice in Wonderland. So relax, enjoy, and without further ado, let's begin. Chapter Eight The Queen's Croquet Ground A large rose tree stood near the entrance of the garden. The roses growing on it were white, but there were three gardeners at it, busily painting them red. Alice thought this was a very curious thing, and she went nearer to watch them, and just as she came up to look at them, she heard one of them say, Look out now, Five, don't go splashing paint over me like that. I couldn't help it, said Five in a sulky tone. Seven jogged my elbow, on which Seven looked up and said, that's right, five. Always lay the blame on others. You'd better not talk, said five. I heard the Queen say only yesterday you deserved to be beheaded. For what? said the one who had first spoken. That's none of your business, too, said seven. Yes, it is his business, said five, and I'll tell him it was for bringing the cook tulip roots instead of onions. Seven flung down his brush and had just begun. Well, of all the unjust things, when his eye chanced to fall upon Alice as she stood watching them and he checked himself suddenly. The others looked round also, and all of them bowed low. Would you tell me, said Alice, a little timidly, why you are painting those roses? Five and seven said nothing, but looked at two. Two began in a low voice. Why, the fact is, you see, miss, this here ought to have been a red rose tree, and we put a white one in by mistake. And if the queen was to find out, we should all have our heads cut off, you know. So you see, miss, we're doing our best before she comes to. At this moment, five, who had been anxiously looking across the garden, called out, The Queen! The Queen! And the three gardeners instantly threw themselves flat upon their faces. There was a sound of many footsteps, and Alice looked round, eager to see the Queen. First came ten soldiers, carrying clubs. These were all shaped like the three gardeners, oblong and flat, with their hands and feet at the corners. Next, the ten courtiers, These were ornamented all over with diamonds, and walked two and two as the soldiers did. After these came the royal children, there were ten of them, and the little dears came jumping merrily along hand in hand in couples. They were all ornamented with hearts. Next came the guests, mostly kings and queens, and among them Alice recognised the white rabbit, who was talking in a hurried, nervous manner, smiling at everything that was said, and went by without noticing her. Then followed the knave of hearts, carrying the king's crown on a crimson velvet cushion. And last of all, this grand procession came the king and queen of hearts. Alice was rather doubtful whether she ought not to lie down on her face like the three gardeners, but she could not remember of ever having heard of such a rule at processions. And besides, what would be the use of a procession, thought she, if people had to lie down upon their faces so they couldn't see it? So she stood still where she was and waited. When the procession came opposite to Alice. They all stopped and looked at her, and the Queen said severely, Who is this? She said it to the knave of hearts, who only bowed and smiled in reply. Idiot, said the Queen, tossing her head impatiently, and turned to Alice. She went on. What's your name, child? My name is Alice, so please, your Majesty, said Alice very politely. But she added to herself, Why, they're only a pack of cards, after all. I needn't be afraid of them. And who are these, said Alice, pointing to the three gardeners who were lying round the rose-tree, for you see, as they were lying on their faces, and the patterns on their back was the same as the rest of the pack, she could not tell that they were gardeners, or soldiers, or courtiers, or three of her own children. How should I know, said Alice, surprised at her own courage, it's no business of mine. The queen turned crimson with fury, and after glaring at her for a moment, like a wild beast, screamed, "'Off with her head! Off! Nonsense!' said the queen very loudly and decidedly, and the queen was silent. The king laid his hand upon her arm and timidly said, "'Consider, my dear, she is only a child.' The queen turned angrily away from him and said to the knave, "'Turn them over.' The knave did so very carefully with one foot. "'Get up!' said the queen in a shrill, loud voice, and the three gardeners instantly jumped up and began bowing to the king, the queen, the royal children, and everybody else. Leave off that, screamed the queen, you make me giddy, and then, turning to the rose tree, she went on, what have you been doing here? May it please your majesty, said two, in a very humble tone, going down on one knee as he spoke, we were trying, I see, said the queen, who had meanwhile been examining the roses, off with their heads, and the procession moved on, three of the soldiers remained behind to execute the unfortunate gardeners, who ran to ask for protection, You shall be beheaded, said Alice, and she put them into a large flower pot that stood near. The three soldiers wandered about for a minute or two, looking for them, and then quietly marched off after the others. Are their heads off? shouted the Queen. Their heads are gone, if it pleases your majesty, the soldiers shouted in reply. That's right, shouted the Queen. Can you play croquet? The soldiers were silent and looked at Alice, as the question was evidently meant for her. Yes, shouted Alice. Come on then, roared the Queen, and Alice joined the procession. "'wondering very much what would happen next. "'It's its a very fine day,' said a timid voice at her side. "'She was walking by the white rabbit, "'who was peeping anxiously into her face. "'Very,' said Alice. "'Where's the Duchess?' "'Hush, hush,' said the rabbit in a low, hurried tone. "'He looked anxiously over his shoulder as he spoke, "'and then raised himself upon tiptoe, "'put his mouth close to her ear, "'and whispered, "'She's under sentence of execution.' "'What for?' said Alice." "'Did you say, what a pity?' the rabbit asked. "'No, I didn't,' said Alice. "'I don't think it's a pity at all.' "'I said, what for?' "'She boxed the queen's ears,' the rabbit began. "'And Alice gave a little scream of laughter. "'Oh, hush!' the rabbit whispered in a frightened tone. "'The queen will hear you. "'You see, she came rather late, and the queen said, "'Get to your places!' shouted the queen, "'in a voice of thunder, "'and people began running about in all directions, "'tumbling up against each other. "'However, they got settled down in a minute or two, and the game began. Alice thought she had never seen such a curious croquet ground in all her life. It was all ridges and furrows, the balls were like hedgehogs, the mats were like flamingos, and the soldiers had to double themselves up and stand upon their hands and feet to make arches. The chief difficulty Alice found at first was in managing her flamingo. She succeeded in getting its body tucked away comfortably under her arm, with its legs hanging down, but generally, just as she had got its neck nicely straightened out, and was going to give the hedgehog a nice blow with its head, it would twist round and look up in her face, with such a puzzled expression that she could not help bursting out laughing, and when she had got its head down and was going to begin again, it was very provoking to find that the hedgehog had unrolled itself, and was in the act of crawling away. Besides all this, there was generally a ridge or a furrow in the way, wherever she wanted to send the hedgehog to, and, as the doubled-up soldiers were always getting up and walking off to other parts of the ground, Alice soon came to the conclusion that it was a very difficult game indeed. The players all played at once, without waiting for turns, quarrelling all the while and fighting for the hedgehogs. And in a very short time, the Queen was in a furious passion, and went stamping about and shouting, off with his head, or off with her head, about once in a minute, Alice began to feel very uneasy. To be sure she had not yet had any dispute with the Queen, but she knew that it might happen at any minute. And then, thought Alice, what would become of me? They're dreadfully fond of beheading people here. The great wonder is how there's anyone left alive. She was wondering about for some way of escape, and wondering whether she could get away without being seen. When she noticed a curious appearance in the air, it puzzled her very much at first, but after watching it a minute or two, she made out to be a grin, and she said to herself, "It's the Cheshire Cat. Now I shall have somebody to talk to." "How are you getting on?" said the cat, as soon as there was mouth enough for it to speak with. Alice waited till the eyes appeared, and then nodded. It's no use speaking to it, she thought, till its ears have come, or at least one of them. In another minute the whole head appeared, and then Alice put down her flamingo, and began an account of the game, feeling very glad she had someone to listen to her. The cat seemed to think that there was enough of it now in sight, and no more of it appeared. I don't think they play fairly at all, Alice began, in rather a complaining tone. And they all quarrel so dreadfully, one can't hear oneself speak they don't seem to have any rules in particular. At least if there are, nobody attends to them. And you've no idea how confusing it is. All the things being alive. For instance, there's the arch I've got to go through next, walking about at the other end of the ground. And I should have croqueted the Queen's hedgehog just now, only it ran away when it saw mine coming. How do you like the Queen? said the cat in a low voice. Not at all, said Alice. She's so extremely... Just then she noticed that the Queen was close behind listening to her, and she went on, likely to win. That's it. Hardly worth while finishing the game. The queen smiled and passed on. Who are you talking to, said the king, coming up to Alice, and looking at the cat's head with great curiosity. It's a friend of mine, a Cheshire cat, said Alice. Allow me to introduce it. I don't like the look of it at all, said the king. However, it may kiss my hand if it likes. I'd rather not, the cat remarked. Don't be impertinent, said the king and don't look at me like that. He got behind Alice as he spoke. A cat may look at a king, said Alice. I've read that in some book, but I don't remember where. Well, it must be removed, said the king very decidedly. And he called to the queen, who was passing at the moment. My dear, I wish you would have this cat removed. The queen had only one way of settling all her difficulties, great or small. Off with his head, she said, without even looking round. I'll fetch the executioner myself, said the king eagerly, and he hurried off. Alice thought she might as well go back and see how the game was getting on, as she heard the queen's voice in the distance screaming with passion. She had already heard her sentence three of the players to be executed for having missed their turns, and she did not like the look of things at all, as the game was in such a confusion that she never knew whether it was her turn or not, so she went in search of her hedgehog. The hedgehog was engaged in a fight with another hedgehog, which seemed to Alice an excellent opportunity for croqueting one of them with the other. The only difficulty was that her flamingo was gone across the other side of the garden, where Alice could see it trying in a helpless sort of way to fly up one of the trees. By the time she caught the flamingo and brought it back, the fight was over and both the hedgehogs were out of sight. But it doesn't matter much, thought Alice, as all the arches have gone from this side of the ground. So she tucked it under her arm that it might not escape again and went back for a little more conversation with her friend. When she got back to the Cheshire Cat, she was quite surprised to find quite a large crowd collecting round it. There was a dispute going on between the executioner, the king, and the queen, who were all talking at once, while the rest were quite silent and looking very uncomfortable. The moment Alice appeared, she was appealed to by all three to settle the question, and they repeated their arguments to her. Though, as they all spoke at once, she found it very hard indeed to make out exactly what they were saying. The executioner's argument was, that you couldn't cut off a head unless there was a body to cut it off from, that he had never had to do such a thing before, and he wasn't going to begin at his time of life. The king's argument was that anything that had a head could be beheaded, and that you weren't to talk nonsense. The queen's argument was that if something wasn't done about it in less than no time, she'd have everybody executed all round. It was at this last remark that made the whole party look so grave and anxious. Alice could think of nothing else to say, but It belongs to the Duchess, so you better ask her about it. She's in prison, said the Queen, to the Executioner. Fetch her here, and the Executioner went off like an arrow. The cat's head began fading away the moment he was gone, and by the time he had come back with the Duchess, it had entirely disappeared. So the King and Executioner ran wildly up and down looking for it, while the rest of the party went back to the game. Chapter 9. The Mock Turtle's Story "'You can't think how glad I am to see you again, you dear old thing,' said the Duchess, as she tucked her arm affectionately into Alice's, and they walked off together. Alice was very glad to find her in such a pleasant temper, and thought to herself that perhaps it was only the pepper that had made her so savage when they met in the kitchen. "'When I am a Duchess,' she said to herself, not in a very hopeful tone though, "'I won't have any pepper in my kitchen at all. Soup does very well without,' Maybe it's always pepper that makes people hot-tempered, she went on, very much pleased at having found out a new kind of rule, and vinegar that makes them sour, and chamomile that makes them bitter, and barley sugar and such things that make children sweet-tempered. I only wish people knew that. Then they wouldn't be so stingy about it, you know. she had quite forgotten that the Duchess by this time was a little startled when she heard a voice close to her ear. You're thinking about something, my dear, and that makes you forget to talk. I can't tell you just now what the moral of that is, but I shall remember it in one bit. Perhaps it hasn't one, Alice ventured to remark. Tut tut, child, said the Duchess. Everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. And she squeezed herself up close to Alice's side as she spoke. Alice did not much like her keeping so close to her, first, because the Duchess was very ugly, and secondly, because she was exactly the right height to rest her chin on Alice's shoulder, and it was an uncomfortably sharp chin. However, she did not like to be rude, so she bore it as well as she could. The game's going on rather better than now, she said, by way of keeping on the conversation a little. Tis so, said the Duchess, and the moral of this is, Oh, tis love, tis love that makes the world go round. Somebody said, Alice whispered, that it's done by everybody minding their own business. Ah, well, it means much the same thing, said the Duchess, digging her sharp little chin into Alice's shoulder, as she added, And the moral of that.' is take care of the sense, and the sounds will take care of themselves. How fond she is of finding morals on things, Alice thought to herself. I dare say you're wondering why I don't put my arm around your waist, the Duchess said after a pause. The reason is that I'm doubtful about the temper of your flamingo. Shall I try the experiment? He might bite, Alice cautiously replied, not feeling at all anxious to have the experiment tried. Very true, said the Duchess. Flamingo and mustard both bite. And the moral of that is, birds of a feather flock together. Only mustard isn't a bird, Alice remarked. Right as usual, said the Duchess. What a clear way you have of putting things. It's a mineral, I think, said Alice. Of course it is, said the Duchess, who seemed ready to agree with everything that Alice said. There's a large mustard mine near here, and the moral of that is, the more there is of mine, the less there is of yours. Oh, I know, exclaimed Alice, who had not attended to this last remark. "'It's a vegetable. It doesn't look like one, but it is.' "'I quite agree with you,' said the Duchess. "'And the moral of that is, be what you would seem to be, "'or if you'd like it, put more simply. "'Never imagine yourself not to be otherwise "'than what it might appear to others "'that what you were or might have been was not otherwise "'than what you had been would have appeared to them to be otherwise. "'I think I should understand that better,' said Ayers very politely.' if I had it written down, but I can't quite follow it as you say it. There's nothing to what I could say if I chose, the Duchess replied in a pleased tone. Pray don't trouble yourself to say it any longer than that, said Alice. I don't talk about trouble, said the Duchess. I make you a present of everything I've said as yet. A cheap sort of present, thought Alice. I'm glad that they don't give birthday presents like that, but she did not venture to say it out loud. ye again, the Duchess asked with another dig of her sharp little chin. I have a right to think, said Alice sharply, for she was beginning to feel a little worried. Just about as much right, said the Duchess, as pigs have to fly, and the... But here, to Alice's great surprise, the Duchess's voice died away, even in the middle of her favourite word, moral. And the arm that was linked into hers began to tremble. Alice looked up, and there stood the Queen in front of them, with her arms folded, frowning like a thunderstorm. A fine day, your majesty, the duchess began in a low, weak voice. Now I give you fair warning, shouted the queen, stamping on the ground as she spoke. Either you or your head must be off, and that in about half no time. Take your choice. The duchess took her choice, and was gone in a moment. Let's go on with the game, the queen said to Alice, and Alice was too much frightened to say a word, but slowly followed her back to the croquet ground. The other guests had taken advantage of the Queen's absence and were resting in the shade. However, the moment they saw her, they hurried back to the game, and the Queen merely remarked in a moment's delay, would cost them their lives. All the time they were playing, the Queen never left off quarrelling with the other players and shouting, off with his head, or off with her head. Those whom she sentenced were taken into custody by the soldiers, who of course, had to leave off being archers to do this. So, by the end of the half an hour or so, there were no archers left, and all the players except the King the Queen and Alice were in custody and under sentence of execution. Then the Queen left off, quite out of breath, and said to Alice, Have you seen the mock turtle yet? No, said Alice, I don't even know what a mock turtle is. It's a thing mock turtle soup is made from, said the Queen. I never saw one or heard of one, said Alice. Come on then, said the Queen, and he shall tell you his history. As they walked off together, Alice heard the King say in a low voice to the company generally, You are all pardoned. Come, that's a good thing, she said to herself, for she had felt quite unhappy at the number of executions the Queen has ordered. They very soon came upon a griffin lying fast asleep in the sun. Up, lazy things, said the Queen, and take this young lady to see the Mock Turtle and to hear his history. I must go back and see after some executions I have ordered. And she walked off, leaving Alice alone with the griffin. Alice did not quite like the look of the creature, but on the whole she thought it would be quite as safe to stay with it, as it were to go after that savage queen so she waited the griffin sat up and rubbed its eyes then it watched the queen till she was out of sight then it chuckled what fun said the griffin half to itself half to alice what is the fun said alice why is she said the griffin it's all her fancy that they never execute nobody you know come on everybody says come on here thought alice as she slowly went after it I never was so ordered about in my life, never. They had not gone far before they saw the mock turtle in the distance, sitting sad and lonely on a little ledge of rock, and as they came nearer, Alice could hear him sighing as if his heart would break. She pitied him deeply. What is his sorrow? she asked the Griffin. And the griffin answered, very neatly, in the same words as before. It's all his fancy that. He hasn't got no sorry, you know. Come on. So they went up to the Mock Turtle, who looked at them with large eyes full of tears, but said nothing. "'This here young lady,' said the Griffin, "'she wants to know your history, she do.' "'I'll tell her,' said the Mock Turtle in a deep, hollow voice. "'Sit down, both of you, and don't speak a word till I've finished.' So they sat down, and nobody spoke for some minutes. Alice thought to herself, "'I don't see how he can ever finish if he doesn't begin.' But she waited patiently. Once, said the Mock Turtle at last with a deep sigh, I was a real turtle. These words were followed by very long silence, broken only by an occasional exclamation of from the griffin, and a constant heavy sobbing of the Mock Turtle. Alice was very nearly getting up and saying, thank you sir for your interesting story, but she could not help thinking that there must be more to come. So she sat still and said nothing. When we were little, the Mock Turtle went on at last, more calmly, Though still sobbing a little now and then, we went to school in the sea. The master was an old turtle. We called him Tortoise. Why did you call him Tortoise if he wasn't one? Alice asked. We called him Tortoise because he taught us, said the Mock Turtle angrily. Really, you are very dull. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for asking such a simple question, added the Gryphon. And then they both sat silent and looked at poor Alice, who felt ready to sink into the earth. At last the Gryphon said to the Mock Turtle, Drive on, old fellow. Don't be all day about it. And he went on in these words. Yes. We went to school on the sea, though you mayn't believe. I never said I didn't, interrupted Alice. You did, said the Mock Turtle. Hold your tongue out of the Griffin," before Alice could speak again. The Mock Turtle went on. We had the best of educations. In fact, we went to school every day. I've been to a day school too, said Alice. You needn't be so proud as all that. With extras, asked the Mock Turtle a little anxiously. Yes, said Alice, we learned French and music. And washing, said the Mock Turtle. Certainly not, said Alice indignantly. Ah, then yours wasn't a really good school, said the Mock Turtle in a tone of relief. Now ours, they had at the end of the bill, French, music and washing extra. You couldn't have wanted it much, said Alice, living at the bottom of the sea. I couldn't afford to learn it, said the Mock Turtle with a sigh. I only took the regular course. What was that? inquired Alice. Reeling and writhing, of course, to begin with, the mock Turtle replied. And then different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. I never heard of uglification, Alice ventured to say. What is it? The Gryphon lifted up both its paws in surprise. Never heard of uglifying, it exclaimed. You know what to beautify is, I suppose. Yes, said Alice doubtfully. It means to make anything prettier. Well then, the griffin went on, if you don't know what to uglify is, you're a simpleton. Alice did not feel encouraged to ask any more questions about it, so she turned to the mock turtle and said, what else had you to learn? Well, there was mystery, the mock turtle replied, counting off the subject on his flappers. Mystery, ancient and modern, with geography. Then drawing, the drawing master was an old Conger eel They used to come once a week. He taught us drawing, stretching, and fainting in coils. What was that like? said Alice. Well, I can't show you it myself, the mock turtle said. I am too stiff, and the Gryphon never learnt it. Haven't the time, said the griffon. I went to the classical master, though. He was an old crab, he was. I never went to him, the mock turtle said, with a sigh. He taught laughing and grief, they used to say. So he did, so he did, said the Gryphon, sighing in his turn, and both creatures hid their faces in their paws. And how many hours a day did you do lessons, said Alice, in a hurry to change the subject. Ten hours the first day, said the Mock Turtle, nine the next, and so on. What a curious plan, exclaimed Alice. That's the reason they're called lessons, the Gryphon remarked, because they lessen from day to day. This was quite a new idea to Alice, and she thought it over a little bit before she made her next remark. Then the eleventh day must have been a holiday. Of course it was, said the Mock Turtle. Then how did you manage on the 12th? Alice went on eagerly. That's enough about lessons the Gryphon interrupted, in a very deciding tone. Tell us something about the games now. There we go. That was chapters 8 and 9 of Alice in Wonderland. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing with a friend, or even leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. But for now, have a wonderful evening. It's a very well-deserved rest. And see you tomorrow for the continuation of our story.